excuse me, there we go. <laughs> there needs to be vision. No, <laughs> boy, I lost my moment. Sorry for those online, you didn't get that. But uh, those things just don't happen. They need to be more than understood. They need to be played. They need to be embraced. They need to be lived. And when that doesn't happen, they're just nice statements. And the same is true for us as Christ followers. Listen to this. If you're not a Christ follower, not so much. But if you're a Christ follower, you have a mission. You have a vision. And there ought to be principles that you and I live our life by. Core values. Now, we would say they stem from the idea of the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. We've talked about that. We've talked a lot about mission and vision. But those things need to be integrated. Last week, we started to talk about our core values. We have five. You could have six. You could have three. These are ideas. These are concepts that we want to live our lives by. And whether you have them stated, whether you've got your mind wrapped around them, you have them. You have a mission. You're living it out. You have a vision. You're living it out. You have core values that show up in your everyday life. Maybe somebody could tell you what those are if you can't see them, but we all have them. We're not a blank slate. And they are so vitally important if we're going to be focused and be directed in a certain direction. And as Christ followers, that is so, 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 so important. Core values uh, from a business sense, our core values are the root beliefs that a person or an organization operates from. They are the principles, perceptives that guide a person or organization's behavior with others. You have principles. Uh, it shows up in the way you treat others. If, if you're kind to someone, you have a core value that you are kind to someone. Uh, if you are just kind of doing your thing and you're not aware of other people's, uh, you know, feelings and where they're at that that's a core value i hate to say it you're more about yourself than those around you and we've talked about you know you know you live for the audience of one but but you have these we have these and it'd be interesting to know what are yours if you took a half an hour took 45 minutes and said why do i exist why, where am I going? Where do I think I'm going? What direction? What are my hopes and my dreams for my life? Wherever I'm at, whatever age or stage, you ought to have dreams for life. And what are the principles? What's my operating system? What are my core values? Last week we talked about following God's leadership and honoring biblical principles, biblical truth, or honoring the Bible two of our core values as a church. And so in theory, those things show up in the way we operate. Today we're going to talk about another one. We're going to unpack something else. And again, this all comes down to how do we live? How do you live? You know how you live. I know how I live. It's not totally a mystery. By the end of next week, you can look and map your life and see where you went and see how you lived. 90% of life is responding to life, not necessarily what happens to you. That's shown for our core values, our mission, and our vision for our life. So how do we live? Do we live like this couple? Greetings, sweetie. And just look at all the big, expensive equipment. <laughs> you charge by the hour, or how does that work? Two nurses. Wow. Two nurses, one baby. We're actually okay if you want to clock out. Is this something that I could do? The epidural? Yeah. Do you need an epidural? I mean, I've got some ibuprofen right here that might... Ah. This is over. 
are so different. 70% of married couples argue about money. I don't know who those other 30% are. Maybe it's because they don't have any money to argue over. Maybe it's because they have too much money and they don't have to argue. Who are those folks? We're going to be talking about generosity as a core value. The way we interact with what we have, who we are. And when it comes to generosity, uh, Jesus talks a lot about it. Paul talks about it. What core value shows up in your life? If your time, your talents were a ledger like a checkbook and you had X amount of hours and you wrote checks and five hours here, three hours here, and you, you, know, you could see if you were in deficit, you could figure out how much sleep. What, what would your checkbook say when it comes to your time and your abilities? What would your checkbook say when it comes to your money? Would your money be basically used exactly like your neighbor who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't claim to be a Christ follower? Maybe you give a little to the church here and there. Maybe you even give 10% or tithe or whatever. But would everything else be reflected the same? Your values, what's important to you? Because when it comes to finances, when it comes to generosity, this is a big Part of our life. So who's it going to be? Tom? Could be Danny. Guess it's all Maggie. Should we have another one? Talk to us about retirement today. 55% of parents expect financial assistance from their kids during their retirement years. Except for my parents, okay? Don't get any ideas about that, all right? Finances, your generosity, it is core to our lives. So as a church family, how we express this is we live generously, we leverage our God-given resources willingly and sacrificially for God's kingdom-building work. God's kingdom-building work is code, it's a little bit churchy, it's about making a difference in people's lives so their hearts are open to the good news of Jesus Christ, so maybe they put their trust in him and begin the journey, as we talked about last week, change is changing. Converted is converting, that this process begins in their life. So we are generous with what we have, who we are. Now, over the summer or into regularly, we've talked about volunteering. And we need to be generous with our time and our ability. So we need to volunteer in our community, and we need to volunteer in our local church. You ought to have a local church home. And some of the indication is that that is your home, is that you're investing in the work that it's doing. And we talk about this around here. It's in your program. Interested in volunteering at SCC? Find out a Say Yes form, and you can look for all that, and you can figure out a way. I, I, we don't believe that you're here by accident. Everybody has something to offer. Uh, so in the local church, in the community, both should be represented. We're not going to get so legalistic that we need to say, you know, you have two hours and 50% goes here, 50% goes there. But it ought to be represented in our lives. And one of the benefits of it having it represented in our lives is it helps us grow spiritually. When we don't give our lives away, we're not living like Jesus. Jesus gave his life away. He actually gave his physical life away by dying for our sins and being raised again by his heavenly father so that we could have new life now and ushering us into the second chapter of life, which is eternity. So our person that we follow or we claim to follow is a person that was generous. They 
gave their, they actually left heaven, came to earth. The first making a difference missionary kind of person left all what he knew, angels singing holy, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. He left and came, and we're going to start to get into that season, came and was born and lived the life of a human being, all the drawbacks of that. Actually had the power, put it on side, you know, aside, lived fully human, but still fully God. I don't know, there would have been some times where I would have cheated behind the scenes, you know, oh, we're walking to Jerusalem, you know, you know, you ever see those shows, you know, Bewitched, let's do, 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 you know, boom, you're there, you know, you didn't have to walk there, or, oh boy, I could, you know, someday they're going to have hamburgers, uh, you know, and no one knows about that here, and I'm supposed to, do, 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 or whatever, you know, and boom, I got a, you know, Big Mac or, or whatever I want, but he didn't do that, he gave himself away. You and I serve. We're the most like Jesus when we're serving. He came to serve, not be served. We are not Christ followers to take. We don't participate in a church to get from it, a local church. We participate to give. And in our giving, we, we are being who God has made us to be, and there's great satisfaction. There's great restlessness when in your life when you are not giving your life away. Then you've got to fill it up with other things to kind of like, uh, you know, it's like a vaccine. You know, I put a little bit of this stuff in me, so I'm, you know, not, uh, you know, I, I, allergy shots. You know, you put a little ragweed in your system so you can kind of be, uh, I can't remember the word, I can't say the word, inoculized, what's it called? Yes, yeah, I think that's it. So, you know, so you put a little in there so you feel good, you know. And so we put a little church in us. So it just kind of, you know, kind of we got like a little guard up. We won't be too touched by it. But we're made to serve. And again, we fill ourselves with other things, purchases, activities, this and that, and, and the things that aren't necessarily wrong because uh, that's kind of how we do it, but then they become too much of our life. So again, serving, serving, serving in the church and the community. So how does Dave Spencer do this? Because you go, well, Dave, you get paid to do this. Well, there are some things that I do that I consider uh, voluntary. And what's great about it is um, I love them. So last week we played floor hockey. There's my boot. I only fell twice. Uh, that's uh, Caleb in the back. He was like a star goalie. And uh, a girl named Isabel would sneak around and score. Uh, no, yes, that was, that was food. But anyway, but uh, we won. It was great. It was great victory. But uh, so, so giving yourself away. And what's great is a lot of times it's something that you like to do, like to have fun with. It almost seems a little selfish because you take joy from it. And, and there ought to be something. If there's nothing, you ought to ask the question, why isn't there anything that God is calling me to serve? And then also, I don't talk about it too much, and I, you know, with the foot, I haven't done it too much, but, you know, part of uh, the local uh, volunteer fire department, and do a couple little things down there, get to meet some people, serve in the community, figure out how to do that. We're called to give our life away. And if months and months and six months and a year and a two year and a three year, and we just become spectators, something has misfired in our spiritual heart. If you're not a Christ follower, you're free from this. If you're a Christ follower, something's off if you're not giving your life away. So when it comes, we talked plenty about that. Now we're going to talk about money. We'll really get in there, right? Uh, so we, the question is this, whose is it? A little teaser in the pulse this week. If you don't get the pulse, you ought to sign up for it. You get all kinds of information. Sometimes I people go, I didn't know about that. I go, do you know there's a pulse? And they go, I didn't even know there was a pulse. I go, how could you not know there's a pulse? I mean, we talk about it all the time. So pulse, pulse, pulse. The pulse of the church. You get it? Boom, 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 boom. Okay, all right, you get it. All right. So whose is it? Whose is all this stuff? Whose is my life as a Christ follower? Who owns my life? And uh you know, we get into the whole idea of taxes, and we think about when we think about money, we don't like paying taxes because we don't think we do anything good with our taxes. We think we pay too much. 
And, uh, you know, when they're trying to get us to do our taxes, there are commercials like this. Oh, gee. Not again. But with TurboTax Absolute Zero, at least your taxes are free. <laughs> it's a shame that's broken because your back flaps open. At least your taxes are free. Does anyone know where that's supposed to go? At least your taxes are free. Just a little bit wild. There's something I never thought I'd see. Doesn't look that bad to me. At least your taxes are free. Have a good weekend, Leslie. At least your taxes are free. You know, we all don't like paying our taxes, so if at least it was free to have someone prepare them, you really look into that, it's not as free as you think it is, but that's a whole other story. But again, taxes, they just bug us. No one's happy about seeing that for the most part. So we've got this story, and taxes were a problem back in Jesus' day. Jesus talks about this. So we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. It's amazing. These two groups did not like each other, the Pharisees and the Herodians. But they didn't like Je they liked Jesus didn't like Jesus even more, and so because of that, they kind of got together. Sometimes we see that in the political scenes: two groups don't like each other, but then they don't like somebody else more, and bang, they're best friends. So to try to catch Jesus in his words, they came to him and said, "Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are." But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They turned the tables. Whose is it? Is this money? What are we supposed to do with this? question was a trap and it can be a trap for us whose is it our money our stuff our abilities whose is it and again you had these two groups getting together because they wanted to they wanted to catch him they wanted to trap him it was a a setup and whose is it becomes a setup to see what's really going on in Jesus' life. But the tables are flipped and we see what is going on the pe in the people's lives who are asking the question and who are in the area. You know, it's interesting when you and I get into these situations, it's, you see Jesus is starting to flatter Jesus. They even say, you know, you know what God says. You follow his instructions, which you wish they could have had a tape recorder and, and brought that out later on because obviously they didn't buy into that. They were trying to enlarge his head. They were trying to flatter him. We have to remember that. We have to be aware of flattery. Sometimes it's a setup for us. A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering word causes ruin, puts you at ease. If you're not being careful, someone might come up to you and, and it surprises you. They're flattering you. It, you know, it's Pharisees, Herodians, uh, it, you know, these are usually people that aren't into Jesus and they're flattering him, he, you know, and he got it really quickly. We need to not be, you know, paranoid, but we need to understand that when somebody gives us flattering words, there might be something else. I, you wouldn't believe this, but as a pastor, sometimes people come up to flatter me and then all of a sudden there's this other little, hey, why don't we do this? Or what do we do this? Or what about this? And they're trying to 
get their way. I actually, sometimes I've had people over the years, and they don't do it much anymore because Cindy doesn't know everything that's going on. They'll go up to Cindy and start flattering her, flattering me, and then they, they've got this little agenda. I'm sure that never happens in any of your business settings or any of your neighborhood settings where somebody's kind of stroking you, maybe even in your family. Hey, Dad, you know, da 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 and all of a sudden, you know, something goes on, and they've got some kind of little whatever. have to be aware of that. Jesus was aware of that. You got that whole flattery, and then, bam, comes the question. And it's amazing. This question is very simplistic. It's very easy. It's, it's a yes or no. It's a right or wrong. Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? Yes? No. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Your hypocrisy, you're, you're trying to trap me. This word trap has the idea of catching a prey. It's like what you do with hunting. And some of you guys are getting ready to hunt and go after these, uh, you know, get some deer so I don't hit them with my car, please. I am re- that sounds so selfish, but, you know, there's just too many running around, especially in my neighborhood. So please do your work and do it well. Help me out. But anyway, you know, the whole idea of catching something, trapping something, and uh, they're, they're trying to do this, and, and the word has some violence with it. And this is what their, the idea is, is where they're, they're trying to do violence to Jesus. They're trying to trap him and catch him and, and have him. And uh, he sees right through it. Now, a denarius looked like this. This is Caesar on one side. His mother's picture was on the other side. This was basically one day's wage. So who are we supposed to pay this thing? So they bring one right out of their pocket, and there it is. And it's kind of interesting that uh, this this is actually in the front. It reminds uh, the nation of Israel, uh, southern kingdom, all that, that they're under subjugation by the Roman Empire. So every time they're going, doing some commerce things and they're paying using this stuff, it's just it's in their face. It's in their face that they are doing this. Also, this whole thing uh, on the backside, the mother, she's like a goddess or something. You know, they think the emperor is kind of like a god too. And all these kinds of things are going on. And so this is like having an idol in your pocket. So not only is it painful politically, and tax-wise, but it's also spiritually very painful. And so this is just this is just a, a terrible thing. But it's kind of funny. Jesus doesn't have one in his pocket. You know, there are times where Jesus lived really close to the wire, and there are other times he didn't, you know. But he didn't have one in his pocket. It's interesting that the people that are supposed to be, like, politically pure, religiously pure, all these kinds of things, they have one of these idols in their pocket that they're so upset about. So somehow they kind of fudged on that. They, they probably shouldn't have had something like this because they were, in a sense, yeah, I don't know what they would have done. I don't know if you just you know, used gold or whatever. But this, this, was, this was the image of Caesar, and they weren't supposed to do things like that. And their response, obviously, because he turns the table on them, is they're amazed at him. Just take a breath. Are you amazed? what Jesus does for us. He turns the table. Some of us have heard the story a zillion times and you were young and you're like, yeah, that, that's kind of cool, Jesus, but this was amazing. Jesus always does this kind of a thing. He makes them think and they hate him for it. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get in their face. He just makes them think and that's worse than losing your cool. That's worse than losing... When, when you're in these situations and you ought to, when we ought to pick our battles, when we're having a conversation with someone, are we keeping our stuff together? Are we having a tone? Are our answers said in such a way that at least the tone is amazing to the person that's hearing it? Or do we lose it? put things on Facebook that are just alienating. I don't know of many people that have seen one of these provocative posts on Facebook, especially when they have a spiritual connotation to it, and say, ooh, I'm going to follow Jesus now. 
Never seen that happen. I, I've seen them say, that's why I don't follow Jesus. Never seen anyone go, oh, that, that kind of draws me in. Again, this comes back to vision, mission, and we're going to see five core values. We'll talk a little bit more about the core value of pointing people to Christ, about sharing our faith later on. But they, again, this idea, those things, do they, do they control even you know, your Facebook, our core values, how you live? So as we're thinking about this, a couple little takeaways here is, first of all, I would say, follow the government as long as you can. Paying taxes is something you have to do. We're fortunate in our country, we can actually elect officials and do that stuff. Some of us feel like we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're just stuck in a state that won't ever maybe vote the way we want, or some of us are say, yeah, I'm in a state that votes all the way I want. So, but follow the government as long as you can. Honor the government. We could go through lots of passages that talk about honoring the government, following the government, and the government that Paul is talking, the government that Jesus is talking about were horrendous, unjust, in your face, uh, just horrendous. And there's even these ideas that God has, like, put that government in place. Like, like the idea that God has put that government in place for Christians to live in that environment and to actually have an influence in that environment. When I get into these conversations about where the country is going and we're like, this is this is this is this, th there's, there's at least how it works. Three fingers pointing back at me as a Christ follower. We kind of lost the ship. And I, I, think I think some of it's the way the world's going, but I think some of it is because of us. We went along with it. Or we stood against it in a way that nobody would ever stand against. When you stand against something, you want somebody to listen. You want them to hear it. You just don't want to be right. Being right and losing your audience, who cares? Some of us will do that with our children. I can remember being right, but being right in such a wrong way that I lost the hearing of my kids. I remember one time where uh, Sarah especially, I thought she had done something dishonest, and she is a, a, a prides herself maybe a little too much being righteous and doing things right. And when I even brought it to the table, it came out of my face too. I, I lost it. She, she, was, she was crying because she was an honest person. She, and da, 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 not a perfect person. And I had to come back and apologize. And I made sure I did it again. And I really did. So, but um, this idea of, again, you can be right or you can be, your approach can just be so anyway, when it comes back to the government, follow as long as you can. Point to good ways. Point in a way that uh, you might get some hearing. Don't just say things so uh, you know no one listens. And there will be days where no one listens. But but just ask yourself: Will would that would that cause somebody to take a step or lean into my perspective on what I'm doing? So anyway. Uh, the idea, again, follow government as long as you can, Romans. So to resist authority is to resist the divine order of God, which results in severe consequences. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen, pay your taxes, pay your bills, and respect your leaders. Unbelievable. And you know that Paul, Paul is killed by the government eventually. Most of the disciples, probably all but John, martyred by the government. And Paul knew that, and Paul writes this. I don't know how he wrote it. I, I don't think he just wrote it on, you know, I'm going to write this. It really sounds good, but I don't do that. That's for you guys. Listen to what I say, but don't listen to what I do. I don't, I, he did that. I don't know how he navigated that, but there are other passages that talk when we're in those moments, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to guide our words, guide our responses in such a way that maybe we don't get out of the heat, maybe things don't turn our way in the, in the immediate future, but that we honor and glorify God. We, we sung about honoring and glorifying God. 
you know, the idea of, uh, you know, revealing him in our actions. That's how we honor who I am. People recognize there's something different about that person. Yes, they're a little weird. Yes, they're a little fun, whatever. But they also have this other layer to them, this spiritual layer. And, and I don't totally get that. I, I, I wish I even had that to some degree. So, again, this idea of follow the government and blowing his head, it's, it's a biblical response. Think, following God's leadership, honoring the Bible, there it is in Romans. Is that a core value of yours. Yet at the same time, there is this other side to this. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. This wasn't about taxes. This wasn't, this was about sharing the good news, communicating faith in a effective way because it was getting traction. If they weren't doing it in an effective way, the, 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 the Pharisees at the time in this passage would not have said, hey, stop doing that. They were getting traction. If they were just doing it and nothing was happening, they'd go, who cares? But they were gaining traction. So this is the place. This is the primary place where they didn't obey. You see, follow government as long as you can. Follow God as long as you live. Big difference there. So whatever you... Wherever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God that he's recognized in what you're doing. So enjoy life. Be fully human. Throw yourself into it in God's playground of living the Christian life. Do it all for God's glory. So there is a moment where sometimes you might be called not to follow the government. Probably in our country, there aren't lots of those things. It's interesting. We lived in North Korea. Okay, and their life is on the line. Just even a hint of it, a woof of a, a whiff of, I, I'm a Christ follower, and you're, you're done. That's it. Follow the government as long as you can. Follow God as long as you live. Now, what also happens when you and I get this, when we under start to think about whose it is, it becomes a way of life. You know, you're going to hear in a few moments, I'm definitely a, a proponent of tithing. That's 10% of your income. Cindy and I do that. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, uh, but it's, it's not 90% is just mine. It's all of his. So I can't say, you know, oh, I put my 10% in, and now I can do whatever I want with my 90%. I need to make sure mission, vision, core values are reflected in the way I practice my generosity. And it becomes a way of life. You're, you're not a, a Christ follower. It's not your side dish. It's the main dish. It's not an appetizer. It's not dessert. It's the main dish. It's the substance of our lives. Is it said yes to Christ if you follow Christ? situation a couple verses down jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury many rich people threw in large amounts Woo! but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins they say that those two small copper coins coins was equal to one sixty-fourth of a denarii. Not very much. Worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly. What she couldn't afford, she gave her I'm not telling you to be irresponsible with your generosity, but sometimes you've got to take a little risk with your generosity. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I'm going to tell you you need to walk with God and be so tight with him that he lays it on your heart. 
I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've been told to be generous with something in my life, and I know it's from God. I know it's not guilt from some other situation. I know it's from God, and I need to step in and do something that uh, I, just, I just have to do. And, uh, you know, you can have that relationship with God if you're following him. You ought to have that relationship with you. Your giving should not be a rule. It should be heart-inspired. And this woman, I would have told her, don't put in all you have. I would have probably given her some extra money. I would have given her a quarter of a denarius so at least she had a quarter of a day's wage so she could go do something. But for some reason, she gave it, and Jesus didn't stop her. She was worshiping God, showing God has value in his life. And in this situation, uh, you know, she's, she's called to do it, and Jesus puts that, puts that out there. I've had people be foolishly generous, and then I've had to help bail them out because they gave all their money to this, and they were being generous, but now they don't have money to fill their oil tank. I go, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyway, this idea. So Jesus sees who's it, who it is and what you give. He sees how you interpret your life. And we're just expanding this now. We went from... You know, generosity with your time and your talents. We went with money. But now he just he just wants it all. He wants you. You got all of him. Aren't you happy you got all of him? He didn't give you just a little forgiveness, a little this, a little that. He gave himself. And it's not to make you feel guilty. It's just when you don't give yourself to it, if you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, these, these ideas are for us not you, you're missing out. When you get to heaven, the next chapter of life, it's going to be all of this, all of this, I'm all in. So let's crack this up a little bit. Let's take a couple steps in that direction. Some gave a lot as they have a lot. That's good. That's great. That's the way it ought to be. I found these pictures of uh, the boxes that they gave it in, and they looked something like this, and they were designed to make a lot of noise when you put your coins in. You know, the, in the old days when you passed around offering plates, that's where you got the belt in there, right? <laughs> so it's just cling, 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 right? And so in today's day, you know, you know, if you we still pass around plates, you know, if you, unless you put in your uh, gold pieces in your, you have a few of them, but back then, coins, and you can see those, and he also sees that some gave their all, though they had very little, and we have a little picture here of the woman putting her money in, and it was Jesus seeing that, two little pennies. Jesus knows who it is and why you give. He knows how you have defined whose it is, whose money is it, whose time it is, whose treasure it is, who you are, who owns you. You own yourself. You know, we all talk about Jesus buying us on Calvary with his shed blood and blah, blah, blah. Has he really, has he really bought you? sound very disrespectful for me to go blah, blah, blah. But we live blah, 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 blah. So we're living that. He knows. And he knows why. Why you give. Went back to David, and we'll get back into that after Christmas. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hallelujah and oh no. I mean, he looks at the heart. He knows when I did something good to show off. He knows when I did something good to say, hey, Dave's a good pastor. He's a good guy. And when I did it out of the depth of my heart because I value Jesus and I want to show that I love him. Not because I want to earn his love, but I just want to say, Jesus, I love you so much that I move to be generous and give a part of my life. I don't even have to, I'm not even giving my whole, give a part of my life. Be willing to give it. 
in your name when you know it. There, there are times, and it's not a secret game, but there are times I, I really want to make sure that uh, I haven't told anyone or nobody knows because I want it to be between me and Jesus. You know, uh, now I'm going to be a little weird, but, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you know, if you're married and you have these close moments with your wife, you know what I'm getting at? You don't go tell your buddies about that. That's between you and your wife, that intimate thing. There are some things in my relationship with God, in our relationship, that's just between me and Jesus. Nobody else needs to know. He knows. So he knows why we give. So in those times where I want to kind of like wave it from the mountaintop, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And that takes like satisfaction in that. Remember, behavior is not always a genuine indicator of our seen a lot of people that have behaved well that have gone through the motions and then the bottom drops out of their life because it was a game and you go how can that be they seem to have turned their back on faith their spouse their whatever they were dishonest and you go how can that be it's because their behavior was not an indicator of their heart fortunately we're told in jeremiah Heart's deceitful above all ways. We're also told that God knows the ways of the heart. So if you're close to God, he sorts all that out, and he helps us. That's a gift. I want to know, not all the time, but most of the time, I want to know when I'm just going through the motions and playing a game. Because it doesn't count. It's just for me. So behavior, giving, generosity, it's, it's not an indicator of really what's going on inside their heart. Sacrificial gift giving thrills Christ, even if the amount is not very large. In, in other message, when we talked about this a couple years ago, we talked about there are times where you and I should give sacrificially. I'll be honest with you, Cindy and I, tithing is no longer sacrificial. It's like paying a tax. Don't even notice it. And now that we pay on, you know, pay online and do that, it comes out of our checkbook, like you know, out of our checking account, like clockwork. And that's great because we never miss a week. Never miss a week. I, I, if you miss weeks and you really don't want to miss weeks, that's one way to do it. And and I, if you're not here every week, but you know, however you want to do it. But but that that's been a great thing for us because we you know for, since we started giving online we haven't missed a week in four or five years and that's no nobility on my part it just goes automatically goes out every week it's great that it does that now I will say this because Martha our treasurer would slap my hand if you decide to do that do it from your checkbook directly or your savings account directly because when you use your credit card. A little bit more of a percentage goes to the credit card company, whether it's a debit card or a credit card company. So just put that out. Is that good, Martha? All right, I'm okay. Whew. Do not want to mess with the treasurer because she sends my checks in. So anyway, sacrificial giving thrills Christ, even if the amount is not very large. The person who determines all that is Jesus. Amen. He knows. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. Be honest, but don't sweat it. Comfortable giving thrills no one, even if the amount is very little. I spilled something, but Jesus knows. For us, being transparent, we try to give a little bit more. We, we didn't stop at 10%. More. And when we give to organizations outside the church, it's beyond, quote unquote, our tithe. Because I do want, I don't want it to be so comfortable. And, you know, and that's easy for me to do because Cindy's the one who balances the checkbook and takes care of all that. So, so I can say, hey, let's do a little bit more. And she goes, yeah, but you don't pay the bills, you know. So and we have this discussion, you know, 65% of couples, no, no, whatever that was in the beginning, 70 percent. But, uh, you know, so 
and I can't, I can't, you've got to figure this out with God's leading in your life. And don't let that be put off. Don't be, you know, oh, I really don't care. Well, then dig in and see how he is leading you. Not how Dave Spencer twisted your arm, but how he is leading you. Because Jesus grows who it is in how you give. In other words, when you say it is his, I am his, he grows you. And that's the great thing. You grow. You want to grow spiritually? You want to be more alive with God, more connected with him? Then be generous with your life. If you are not being generous with your life, but you're reading the Bible, you're doing all these other things, you're praying and all this stuff, you're not, be, you're, you're, you're not growing. You've got to be giving your life away. Jesus didn't say, you know, I, I, came, I didn't come to be stirred, but to serve. He didn't say, I, I came to, to read the Bible all the time. And, you know, no, he said, I, I came to serve. That's the expression of all that Bible stuff in your head ought to be that you give your life away. If it's all in your head and it's just about you, we become Pharisees. We become selfish. We become just about us. Teaches us to put God first. You know, some people say, do you give before or after taxes? And, uh, you know, we, we like to give before taxes because we want to give him first. We want the, some of the, especially when we're first married, some of the, the risk. Cindy was working at a private Christian school, didn't make any money, and I was working part-time. We were going to school, and we had to really wrestle with tithing. It, it was not easy, but I know when we paid, the put, paid, put it in, worshiped first, we seemed to have enough to make it. If we waited to see if there was any money left over, there was never money left over. And look at me today. Talk about ice cream. I've had plenty of ice cream. So there's money for ice cream, so all is good in the Spencer world. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. And I don't know about you, but I have to continually learn this lesson. It needs to be reminded. It needs to be drilled down into my life. It also increases your faith in God. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best principle. Your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. And again, this isn't the idea to give, you give to get, but life will be sweet. There'll be a prosperity to your life, and it just won't be in barns or wine vats. It will be a prosperity to life, a wholeness to life, a satisfaction to life that nothing can take away. And what's amazing is we love to quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I don't even have to put it up on the screen. Trust the Lord. Another, you know, and you go, ooh, I love that, you know, and he'll make all your great. Well, this is a part of those thoughts. Those are connected. This isn't one thing. You've got you to follow the passage through. It increases our faith. It requires faith to give first. If you give last, it does not reflect faith. In most cases. In most cases. Just being honest with you. We're going to jump through because we're of the time gone, but bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. If you're really interested, you can go and look studies. You know, some people say, well, you know, uh, you know, the tithe doesn't have to go just to the local church. You can divvy it up. And, and some people say, no, tithe first to the local church. And on top of that, be honest. Go figure it out for yourself. Go figure it out. For us, tithe to church and then extra giving outside. But that's us. These are principles. These aren't thus saith the Lord. There's some grace there. But if you think that gets you off the hook of being generous, you've missed the whole thing. And God knows your and my heart. It obviously provides for the local church. This idea of bring the whole tithe. It's, you know, the reason we have lights, the reason we have these things is reason you have me, maybe you go, oh, no, maybe I should stop giving then. It's because it pays my salary. You know, you're going to notice that uh, there, there's a new budget. If you're a regular attender, I encourage you to pick that up and see what that's doing. You're going to see there's some increase. 
three to four percent, I think it is, and I may be totally incorrect, but I think it's three to four percent. Um, and then a big portion of that is our missions budget. We're raising that. We want to keep our missions budget at least at 12 percent of our whole budget. When we first got here, it was higher. So the reason we've not increased the budget is we've made that in alignment. And so that's why we're increasing that. If you're on the missions team next year, you're going to have some fun because you have some, some things to think about. How do we steward what we have in this missions budget? So we thought we need to do that. So providing for the local church, that's how things happen. That's how you bought a Christmas tree. Some of us, if I told you how much that Christmas tree cost, you'd go, <coughs> and some of you say, oh, that was a good deal. you know. But anyway, we've got that Christmas tree because we're trying to do an outreach. There's other things going on. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, about two months ago, new tile coming the floor. Uh, it just makes it a little bit more nicer because of all the stained stuff. Again, it's about people, not buildings. It's about events to, to, to use this building, and, and that's, that's great. So when you think about generosity, we want to leave you with this thought. What you give is nearly, not nearly as important as why and how you give it. And you've got to be honest with that. Honest with that. How have you ordered your finances? So you can be generous, but again, how have you ordered your time? What have you signed up for? That maybe closes the door to serve. And some things you need to do. I, I, can't, I can't sort all that out. But if you don't have any time to be generous any place in your life, then I think it's out of whack. If you don't have any time to be fun or do some stuff that are just relaxing, replenishing, then things are out of whack too. So you need to figure out those rhythms. And just uh, you know, a little thing that I always kind of throw up when I'm talking about this, just to remember that 90% with God goes farther than 100% without him. However you want to line that up. The idea is keeping it for yourself so you can have what you need to have doesn't work that great for you. Being generous will work for you in ways that will help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for discussions like this. We thank you for these two examples where Jesus was teaching us about generosity, whose it is. And I ask that each one of us, each one of us would come to terms with who are we? Uh, who owns us? Have we said yes to Jesus? Are we continually saying yes to Jesus? Do your work in all of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.